people said, amen, amen. A little explanation, obviously the order of service is self-explanatory, but I want to take a moment to bring a word from Acts chapter 6, highlighting when the office of deacon came into the New Testament church and the blessing that it provided for the prosperity and growth for that church. It's important for us to recognize that as we sung in this hymn, as I read from Psalm 31, that the installation of faithful men to the office of the church is a way that God cares for her. It's a way that God hugs the church and loves on the church by the the giving of faithful men to these two important offices of elder and deacon. Uh, We touched on that some even in this morning's message, that when God removes these men from the church, what a curse it is to the nation. Well, when they're installed, when they're recognized and installed into that office, it's a great blessing. And so we are here to recognize that for ourselves, that God is caring for us. He's caring for the ministry of this church, and he has provided someone to come along and feel a great need that we have. So with that being said, after, uh, after the message this afternoon, we'll give Jeff Uh, the vows. I'll ask the congregation to uh, make a promise as well, and then we'll have Jeff come up and um, be uh, received the laying on of hands and prayer, and then Pastor Otis will give him his charge. If you have your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Our text is going to be verse 1 through verse 7. Hear now the word of the living God. And now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we might put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. And the word of God kept spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And may the Lord add his blessing to this word. 
Well, brothers and sisters, we read the text that teaches us when the office of deacon was established in the New Testament church. Now, we could do uh, some surveying of the Old Testament and we could highlight the various ministries of certain Levites that were chosen and set apart to serve in the temple of the Old Testament, and that would sort of be a shadowing or a precursor to the, well, New Testament office of deacon. But outside of that, this is a first. Up until this time, there was only one office in the church, and that was the office of elder. Now, the office of elder had a supernatural, if you will, element to it because we still had at that time apostles. And apostles were um, elders for sure, but they were uh, unique elders. They once, once these apostles died out, they were not to be replaced. That is, the office, the apostolic office would be vacated by their death, no longer needed in the church. Now, that's a, that's a concept we need to keep in mind because what we find as the Lord is caring for the church up until this point is that the church had apostles and they had elders. The apostles had ordained elders in order to serve, to preach the word and serve the word of God in the ministry of the word of God and prayer to those coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It was what the church needed. God was meeting the needs of the early church. But now we see that there's another, that a need had arisen in the church and it had caused quite a stir according to the text. And we're going to see here that God is meeting the needs of his bride, meeting the needs of the church. And we see, first of all, the complaint itself. Look at verse one. Now, this complaint is not unlike the complaints we have in church. If you look there at verse one, it says, now at this time, that is during this, this influx of growth, uh, during this, this influx of, of professing believers, the church is undergoing immense church growth. And so it's at this time that while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. Now, we see the word complaint is interesting because the word actually means to murmur, to murmur. That is, they weren't quite fully Presbyterian yet, and they didn't bring their complaint to the session or Presbytery. They were murmuring among themselves. We've never done anything like that. That doesn't happen in our circles, but that's what was going on here. Now, that word has a distinct element to it because it means to whisper. You know, like, look at how they're neglecting our widows. Look at how they overlooked our, look at, they're passing over these Hellenistic widows, our, our women, so to speak. And that's how, and so it finally rose to the point that the apostles had to address it. So it got loud enough, if you will, that the apostles needed to address this because it was becoming infectious to the congregation. 
And you can see the two factions there in verse 1, the Hellenistic Jews and the native Hebrews that were in Jerusalem. Now, who were the Hellenistic Jews? Well, they were these the Jews that had lived outside of Jerusalem, and their primary language was Greek. Their primary language was Greek. Now, you've got to remember, the Jewish or the native Hebrews as identified in the text, their first language was Hebrew. They felt it disgusting to have uh, the Greek language as their first language, and they were those that were in Jerusalem. Now, you got to remember, though, the Greek language was the, the language of commerce. It was the language of politics and government. I mean, it was the common, ordinary, everyday language, and they needed to know uh, Greek, but they were above really speaking it. And so you, those are the difference. They were both, they were both uh, Hebrews, but so the one faction was Hellenistic, meaning they spoke Greek first, and then there were the Hebrew-speaking side of, these, of this faction. Now, what's important about the Hellenistic Jews is that the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and the Bible that actually Paul quotes, the Paul used was a Greek Old Testament. So the word, the, the Septuagint means 70, which this, the, I, what it was, the Septuagint was a, the Old Testament Bible that 70 scholars had come together, Hebrew scholars, to put the Hebrew in the Greek language so that the Hellenistic Jews could read the Bible, so that they could read their scriptures, okay? And that's the Bible they use. So these are the two factions. So that's the problem. And you can see that there was a, this increasing number. If, you, if we're not going to go, we don't have time to go there, but if you go all the way back to Acts 2, you look at the sermon on the day of Pentecost, what was taking place was it was that time of the year, the time of the Passover, that the, all of the Jews were required to come to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices. So J Jerusalem was packed. And it was packed with tens of thousands of Jews from all over the region. From what we might say all over the world because they were coming from all different parts of that area. And when they heard Peter preach, and many of them, 3,000 and then 5,000 and then many more along the way, when they, became, when they had heard the gospel and they responded in faith to the preaching of the apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem. Now, this caused a problem. And the problem was that they, Jerusalem wasn't prepared to have all of these people staying there permanently. And that was the issue. The issue is they have way too many people and not enough servants. So that's the context of the problem. But look in verse 2 and then we can see how this problem was going to be solved and that is that the 12, and that was the apostles, the new edition of Matthias, what did they do? They summoned the congregation 
of the disciples. Now, this wasn't just one church. This would have been all of the collective congregation there in Jerusalem. It would quite a few people, I would assume. And it, I would assume it's quite a few people because of seven deacons. Now, you can, I mean, seven men can orchestrate and, you know, organize quite a few people being served. Now, notice they weren't doing all the serving themselves. That's not what the text says. The text says they were put in charge over it. That's not to say they weren't going to serve the tables, but they weren't the only ones going to serve the tables. So we're talking about quite a few people, or quite a few widows, rather. And it said, the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now, verse two lets us know that there are, there's a distinction. There's going to be a distinction in these offices, as it's related there in verse two, it says that these apostles, right, and these would be the common office of elder, it's not desirable for us to do what? Neglect the word of God. They had the ministry of the word. Now, even though the word deacon as a noun is not used in the text, the verb is there in verse two. The verb is found in the word serve tables. That's the word deacon. This is the verb form. And that shows how the office was first brought into being and how it's got its name. It got its name through its service of what? Waiting on tables, meeting this very important need because of the murmuring among the church. And so that's important to see that there was a summoning of the congregation. You can see in this office that the, that the apostles did not take the liberty to themselves to say, don't worry, we'll handle this. We're going to appoint for you some men to take care of this problem. Trust us. They didn't do that. They summoned the congregation and they told the congregation Here's what we're going to do. It's not desirable. That means it's not a good thing for us to stop what we're doing and to serve the tables. So we're not going to do that. You got to imagine not only are these uh, the need for the the hungering of the food there, the daily ration of, of, of bread, if you will, but also the serving of the word of God is important, right? the discipleship of those that are coming to faith, those who are needing to hear how that Old Testament foreshadowed Jesus Christ. They need to know these things, and so we need to teach them, and so we're not about to forsake the spiritual bread for the serving of the physical bread, but the physical bread is important, so we're gonna call you together and ask you, in verse three, to select from among you seven men of good reputation. Now that's important to know, representation. Both office, both the offices of elder and deacon are those men that are selected by the congregation to uh, serve them the word or to serve them in a physical way. It comes from the congregation. They are to choose, and notice, Choose what? Men of good reputation. Now, what's a reputation? Well, reputation is your past. It, it's, it's who you are. You see, that, what's important about a reputation is you can always say right now, I'm a changed man. 
But a reputation takes you back a few days. A reputation is, well, this is how you are perceived. This is who, what you've done. This is what you've said. And uh, this is kind of where you are. So you, there's no way of hiding it. That the congregation was to select men that they knew that were solid, godly, spiritual men. So it wasn't going to be a novice. He wasn't going to be a new convert. He wasn't going to be somebody that just made a profession of faith and said, hey, I'm a changed, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm ready for, no, that wouldn't work. That's not a reputation, okay? I can, and I'm sure you can too. I can, I can think of a couple of instances where the church should have done a better job in examining reputations, when putting men into office. The other thing it tells us after a good reputation, it says it must be a man full of the spirit and of wisdom. Now I interpret that the fullness of the spirit is that full of doctrine and faith, uh, truth. I can't look at anyone and you can't look at me and go, I'm pretty sure he's full of the spirit. But it's obvious they could see this because they were called upon to do what? Choose men full of the Spirit. What does a, a man full of the Spirit look like? He's a knowledgeable man. He's a man that understands doctrine. He's a man that understands not only doctrine, but its application. What does the text tell us? And of wisdom, because that's what wisdom does. Wisdom is the application of truth. And we see it taking place in this situation. We have a need. We have a problem. We need to solve the problem. And we need to do it in a way that, well, benefits and prospers the church. It's not about, um, I mean, I have literally, I'm embarrassed to say in one, one sense that I served in a church where, you know, if Bubba had a pool behind grill in his yard, he was going to be a deacon. Because he can cook about 15 Boston butts at one time. And that's a fact. And that's a shame. Because that has nothing to do with the office of deacon. And yet, that's how some churches choose their officer. And that's not what's happening here and, and this is why we see later on the prosperity of the church, right? These were men full of the spirit and of wisdom. They had to know the truth and they had to be able to make application of that truth. Though they had to be, they had to have a sense of maturity about them. And notice it says, these are the ones, now you can see this is, is so vital and important in, at the end of that last clause of verse three, whom we may put in charge of the task. Now you don't want to put a hothead in charge of the task. You don't want to put someone immature in charge of the task. You don't want to put someone who's weak in charge of the task because it's like, hey, this table needs double bread. Can you give me some double bread here? I mean, when you need somebody firm that can serve the tables, do it, you know, with wisdom, do it with compassion and level of mercy, but be fair to everyone. 
That's the issue that you can see part of the problem was, well, this isn't fair. Our widows are being overlooked. So they had to be extremely fair in their distribution, and rightly so. And rightly so. Here's why, look, it's not the church's prerogative to just cast God's money to the wind. You are stewards over that money and you you have to use it in a way that's glorifying to God and if it's glorifying to God, it'll be useful to the church. So they were to be put in charge of this task. Verse four, we see again a distinction of these offices. While one, while the, while these future deacons are going to serve the tables and orchestrate and order the distribution of food, the elders are saying, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now that word ministry is the word service. It's the same word that we get deacon from. It's and it, you could say it in this sense, and I, as I put together a, a manual in the other older church I was in, it was like this. Jeacon, uh, Jesus, was, you know, he's the first deacon, if you will, because he does what? He comes to serve. So in these verses, do not, do not see that the, the some have this idea that deacons are nothing more than the janitors of the session. That's not true. That's ungodly. We have to repent of those ideas. They are serving and meeting the physical needs of the congregation while the office of elder is serving and meeting the spiritual side. Both the whole man is being ministered to when you have godly elders and godly deacons. And you want the whole man ministered to. And we see that the distinction of those offices are in this text, right? So notice, here's is why, this is just how divine this counsel and, uh, was to the hearers, how wise it was. Look at verse 5. And this statement found approval. Now, underlying Greek there is that this statement made them very happy. They approved it because they were happy to hear it. They were happy at how these apostles were going to solve the issue and meet the needs. And in their elation, they were, they approved it. They were like, that sounds great to us. And notice it's the whole congregation. And then, of course, these men that were set apart For that office, look at verse 6. And they were brought before the apostles. And after prayer, they laid hands on them. Now, what's the laying on of hands? Well, the laying on of hands is simply symbolic. The laying on of hands is not conveying anything other than being a symbol of a charge given. That's it. That's it. There's nothing being conveyed from us to Jeff spiritually. There's no power emanating from us to Jeff when we lay hands on him. 
There's nothing that he's going to receive. He's not going to receive any extra gifts from John, Aubrey, or myself. He's not going to do that. Now, the Holy Spirit could very easily give Jeff even more gifts in order to, well, do perform the office. That's the prerogative of the Holy Spirit. But this is simply a symbol of of laying a charge. Now, what is a charge? Responsibility. Jeff is taking on added responsibility to his life by assuming the office of deacon. That means some of his time is not his. It's yours. It's Christ's first and yours. Now, it's important for you to recognize that and not abuse it. It's important to recognize that God has gifted Jeff, God has called Jeff, gifted him, and now that God is going to use him, but that also Jeff is not the one simply to do all the work. Like these deacons, it is very acceptable, and the session would say even a must is for Jeff to find out or find um, adequate servants in the congregation to meet certain needs. And he can orchestrate that and facilitate that. And bear with him. If he comes to you and he asks you, hey, brother or sister, I've noticed these things about you. You seem to be strong in this area. I have this this circumstance, I don't want to say issue, everything's not an issue, but I have this circumstance and I think you would be perfect to help me with this circumstance. Would you consider, well, ABC? Now, when you hear that, don't be so quick just to dismiss it. Listen to what he has to say, maybe pray about it, but understand that this would be God's ordained servant coming and recognizing that God is working through him in order to prosper the church in a physical ministry and God is coming to you through your deacon. So keep that in mind, that this laying on of hands is this conveying of a, of a charge to Jeff, that Jeff is assuming to himself added responsibilities to his life. There's not some of, sometimes it's going to be easy. Sometimes it's not going to be easy. So keep this in mind. That when we ask, when we get to that point and we ask Jeff to come up and we come up and lay hands on him with prayer and this is sort of that visible symbolic way that Jeff is set apart for this uh, ministry of deacon that it's, it's real. It's not just simply a naked symbol, but it comes with responsibilities, and with responsibility, it comes with some level of authority, okay? Now, verse 7 is the one I've been wanting to get to, and I know you've been wanting me to get to it too. But verse 7, I think, is so encouraging to us because when things are done, when, when things happen of the Spirit, 
And they're not just conjured up through the desires of men because they want to see certain things happen or take place in the church. When God's in it, if you will, the church prospers. The church prospers. It's the blessing of the church. And notice how the church was blessed by the addition of the office of deacon. It says in verse 7 that the word of God kept on spreading. Let's stop there. You say, well, pastor, it was spreading before the office of deacon. Exactly, but it had, well, we had a hurdle. We had a hurdle because a, a faction had been created in the church and then there was murmuring going on. And you know as well as I do, murmurs just don't stop. That joker would have festered up and it would become abscessed and it would have been a problem. So for the phrase, the word of God kept on spreading is vital to understanding the prosperity and blessing of Christ to his church. The word of God didn't take a back. The word of God kept on becoming effectual to the preaching and discipleship of the apostles and elders and the Bible studies and, and the synagogue visits and all of the things that they were doing and the street preaching and whatnot. The word of God kept on spreading. Now, here's another element that we know that God was using this ordination of deacon to increase the number of the church because look at what it says now. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. You remember what I said in the very beginning about the Levites and their service in the temple? Now, just bear with me. What are they witnessing taking place in the New Testament church? They're seeing God working through his ordained officers, meeting the needs of the people just like they had been ordained to meet the needs of the Old Testament church. And they are seeing the correlation. You know what they're going you know what they're saying to themselves and possibly to their buddies and the groups around them saying, this is Jehovah. This is the promised Messiah. They're preaching the promised Messiah. He has come. He has died and he's been raised from the dead. We need to listen to these men. Josephus estimates that at this time, there were some 20 thousand converts of the Levites to the New Testament church. That's no small number. They're making the connections of the scriptures from the Old Testament to the application of the apostles in the New Testament. And you know what they see? One church, one God, right? One baptism, one eternal truth, one promised Messiah, and they were growing and they were becoming obedient to the faith in Christ. Now, I don't think we're going to have a bunch of Levites converted because of Jeff's ordination. But you know what? The happier this congregation is, the happier a place this will be for people to come and visit. 
and learn about Jesus and stay and grow in grace. Let's pray. Now, Father, we ask you to bless this word, this simple explanation of this wonderful text. Lord, let us take heart and great encouragement to what we have heard and see this as you blessing us and loving us and caring for us in the installation of Jeff Bowles to the office of deacon. We pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.